my name's Adam, one of the pastors here at the church. And I, Chris didn't mention that there's, I'm kind of surprised at this. He's an Eagles fan, too. It's kind of a big game today, isn't there? Yeah, no, I um, I'll tell you. He did mention the commercials. I look forward to the commercials. But what I'm looking forward to more than the game is the This Is Us episode that comes on after. I can't wait to see what happens with Jack. Some of you are going, yes. And I know others of you are going, you just lost a lot of man points, Adam. I'm going to sit and cry with the best of them. I can't wait to see that show. But anyway, <laughs> with that said, um, <laughs> my name is Adam. Looking forward to jumping in here. Uh, what I want to do is I want to kind of just kind of work. We're going to spend about 10 minutes setting up this series. Uh, and then I'm going to jump, we're going to open up Ephesians and look at uh, this morning. So we're going to just talk about the bigger series that we're starting, kicking off today. You picked a great morning to be here. Always a good morning to be here when we start a new series. Good morning to be here every Sunday, but this morning we kick this one off. And then we'll dive in to the Ephesians. Um, this series uh, started in March of 2007 in my heart. Uh, it was during that month that my wife, Tanya, and I packed up our, at that time, we have four kids now, we only had three then, three under the age of four, loaded them up in a U-Haul truck and moved from Mifflin County, Pennsylvania, down to Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, We're headed to Charlotte, North Carolina because we were following a leader there who had a vision. uh, uh, He was was bothered that uh, across America, the most racially segregated hour of 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 our week is often Sunday morning. And so he said, you know, what I'd really love to see is a church that, that breaks that down, that, that sees black and white, Hispanic and uh, et cetera, just all of us worshiping together uh, in that environment. So that's really what we set out to do. That was the vision that we planted in inner city Charlotte and, and really set out to break down these racial divides. Now, when I stepped into it, what I didn't realize at the time was how naive I was. Uh, see, if you had asked me in March of 2007, Adam, are you prejudiced? Do you know what I would have said? Probably the same thing you'd say. What would you say if I asked you that? Are you prejudiced? No. And I would often tell you, well, I know I'm not. And he'd say, well, why aren't you? Well, I know I'm not because I remember um, the, the Philadelphia Eagles team of old. Remember back in the 80s, I was a child of the 80s, they had a quarterback by the name of Randall Cunningham. Uh, and I remember sitting and watching that, that team uh, with a family member. And this family member would, every time I was watching it with this family member, would often uh, educate me on why they would never win the Super Bowl. You know why they would never win the Super Bowl, according to this guy? Because they had a black quarterback. And I used to think back then, you are, in my junior high way, you are so stupid. So therefore, I thought, I'm not prejudiced. I'm not prejudiced at all. I mean, when I, when I see it, when I smell it, I just want, it's repulsive to me. However, what I didn't realize was that underlining, I did have a prejudiced piece in me. It really began to rub in Charlotte. It began to rub because here's where it came out. Is, is though I would uh, look to that family member and think, man, you're crazy, I would, though at the same time, when I would hear a black athlete stand up and, and at times pull the race card is the way I would say it. Even the way I say that shows my prejudice. They'd pull the race card and think, oh, come on. This is the 1990s now. I mean, let's move on. That was the 19... 19- I step into Charlotte, North Carolina, and I realize, man, I started walking with with um, guys and girls that, that lived it. 
It was no longer on a page of a history book. It was now their story. And so I'm, I'd hear stories of, of guys that were 10, 15 years older than me, not that much older than me. And they begin to tell me stories of shootings. They begin to tell me stories of bricks that would come through their window. I heard stories of crosses that were burnt in front yards. One, I never forget the one, told me a story of a family member that was tied up behind a car and drugged through town. Some of them told me stories of they were a part of the, the, they were a black student being moved into an all-white school for the very first time as the South began to desegregate the schools. And they began to tell me these stories that I'm sitting there and I'm beginning to realize this wasn't that long ago. And I began to experience it for myself and live it. I, I, I really experienced it when my neighbor... My neighbor was a, a black man who served in Vietnam, and he'd come back, and he'd worked really hard to, to better his life, and he moved out of the ghettos, and he moved to this particular region. And then because of gentrification, it's a big issue. We get into this, you get into the black and white and, and some of the racial stuff. You get into gentrification, which is where they're taking, they're trying to, they're trying to bring the wealthy more affluence into some of the ghetto regions to try to mix that up and, and clean up cities. And, and so he was a result. So he's sit in this, uh, in this next-door neighbor. Uh, they come in and they buy up his, his land his, his apart, that his apartment's on. And they come to him and knock on his door and basically say, your rent's moving from $900, almost $1,000 a month to $2,500 a month, and you've got X amount of days to make that payment or you're out. Well, he can't afford that, so he moves out. So then they level his place and begin construction of his multi-million dollar highway. So I begin to look at all these complex issues, and I realized, man, <laughs> I didn't know half of what I was talking about when I moved here. I didn't understand it. Now... Ultimately, that church plant failed. Failed bad, actually. Eighty-some percent of church plants fail. It's, it's not a, if, if you want success, uh, it's not the, the line of work you want to go into. Uh, so we failed. I moved on. But the, the mission, the vision of it really never left my heart. And so as I began to watch TV and hear stories, I remember a few years ago here watching, coming home and having dinner with my kids and showing them pictures on my phone of, uh, and watching video of um, Baltimore. I remember a few years ago, inner city Baltimore, as it was racked, you hear stories of Chicago and Missouri, and you see the Black Lives Matter and the Blue Lives Matter, and, and all this division that springs up, and then you spin out from the racial divide, and you look at all the other divides that we have in our land, men and women, rich and poor, Democrat, Republican, the arts and, and the sports, uh, soccer and football. I mean, even get, you start bringing all this silly stuff. Eagles and Patriots, right? <laughs> and the piece that I've carried with me from Charlotte, North Carolina, is what this series is going to be about. The church of Jesus Christ has the only real and lasting solution to this problem. Now, <laughs> our politicians will work hard at it, and they're doing good things. But the only real and lasting solution is the church of Jesus Christ. Why this series has uh, showed up now uh, is in September, um, we pulled together our elders. Our elders, if you maybe new to the church or new to this church, what's an elder? An elder, in essence, are my bo- they're my boss. There's seven of them. I'm one of them. Uh, there are... Um, five of them that are not paid, then Chris and I. And what they do, the elders are set the course and the direction of our church. And then they hold me accountable uh, to lead in that direction. So um, the elders, one of them is they set the course and the direction. What is communicated here on a Sunday morning is a really big deal with our elders. So they stay active in, they really establish the course of these series. So um, they were the ones that said, hey, let's talk about fear and anxiety that we just, the series we just finished up. So there, we're getting together. We have a brainstorming meeting. We're throwing ideas 
ideas out. And, and at the time, we were, if you remember the summer, the Black Lives Matter piece that was all over the news and what's happening around our country. And, and so they said, man, um, let's talk about that from, uh, from a biblical perspective. What do you do with racial unity and et cetera? So that went up on the board and that's there. And then uh, what came up on the board is um, we also talk about what books of the Bible would be good because we don't just like to do topics. We also like to work through certain sections of Scripture. So the book of Ephesians gets written on the board. And as we're sitting back and I'm thinking, i began to think about, uh, I just a week or so earlier was with a group of pastors that I network with. There were seven of us sitting around a table. And I began to think back to something that was said at that table. Uh, there was one of the individuals at the table was from, he's from a church. It's kind of nationally influential. He's, a, he's kind of a national leader. He was invited. He was telling us the story, but he was invited out to be with uh, Pastor Rick Warren. Uh, some of you know Rick Warren, Purpose Driven uh, Life, Purpose Driven Church, written a number of books. Pastors out in uh, California, influential across the globe. And um, he begins to talk. What, what Rick Warren had done was because of all the racial tension, he was assembling some of the brightest and the best church leaders across America to gather together to begin to say, How do we address this issue? And so he's sharing us all this stuff, and it was good stuff. I mean, really good stuff. Those of you who are nervous about the church in America, please don't be. As I sat and listened, I thought, man, there's good stuff. There are good young leaders that are rolling their sleeves up across America. I just, it's exciting. So he's sharing this, and we're engaging and talking about it. And then suddenly, at the end of the table, um, kind of sitting kind of a diagonally across from me, is the only black man at the entire setting. Uh, and he pastors a church in inner city Harrisburg. And he suddenly speaks up, and he says, guys, listen, listen. This is all really good stuff, and I'm super glad Rick Warren had you out, and that sounds great. But he goes, man, we're making it too complicated. You know what? Just preach Jesus. Now, when he said it, I'm thinking, oh, come on, dude. You're, that's so simple. It's, it's, it's deeper than that. I mean, you've got, you've got the civil rights movement and all the oppression and the slavery and all the history and all the stuff we've really got to address and talk into. And he's like, just preach Jesus. So fast forward, I'm sitting there with the elders and we're whiteboarding and there it was. Racial unity, Ephesians, just preach Jesus. This series was birthed. Ephesians, if you turn with me there, page 977, let's jump in. That was, that's the whole series. That's what we're going to talk about throughout this series is, is unity. Um, unity in general between all divides. Specifically, we'll get into some of the racial uh, tension that can split our land and split us. But now, as you get into Ephesians, what we're going to see right out of the gate, we're going to see it in verse 10 this morning, is the um, heart of Ephesians. This is a letter. We'll talk about who wrote it and where it's to in a minute. The heart of Ephesians is it's, it's a theologically rich letter. And a lot of times, as, as people dive into the theology of it, they miss the heart of it. And the heart of this letter, the purpose this letter has been written for, is, is Paul the writer is saying, man, I want you to know God's eternal and cosmic plan is to bring all things, everything, all people into unity under the person of Jesus Christ. He's going to talk very specifically about some people groups that were at war with one another. I want Jesus Christ is stepping in and all of creation is going to be brought into unity and submission under the person of Jesus Christ. And it happens through what he calls the mystery of the gospel. It's the heart of this letter. And he gets very practical in chapter 2, especially with um, some of the racial and ethnic divides that can pull us apart. Now, with that said, let's dive in. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at verses 3 through 14. I want to start out with a context of what the letter is. Start with verse 1. 
It says, this letter is from Paul. Now, I'm not going to, this isn't going to be a deep dive into who Paul is. If you're, not, if you're new to the scriptures, welcome. Um, if you'd love to dive more and d- dig into that more, you know, shoot me an email this week. I can help you uh, try and figure some of this stuff out deeper. But Paul, in a, in a surface way, uh, is, is a guy, he, he in essence had a PhD in religion, Jewish religion, the Jewish tradition. He was passionate, I mean passionate about that Jewish tradition. And Jesus uh, comes to the scene, and then there's these Jesus followers. And the Jesus followers seem to work against the Jewish traditions. And he, it was his mission to destroy anything related or, or associated with Jesus. So it was his mission to go out and, and wipe it all out. Well, then he meets Jesus. And he becomes a Jesus follower himself. Now what do you do, Paul? So Paul then makes it his mission to start Jesus-following churches all over the land. Uh, this letter is written to one of those churches that he would have been very instrumental in. This, the church at um, if Ephesus is the town, is in what today would be present-day Turkey, uh, is, is where this would have been. So here it is. So this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Real quick, mentioned again, not a deep dive, but apostle. An apostle in a, in a surface way uh, was, a, was a unique gifting that was specifically designed to, to establish and start and keep the church on mission. So if you think about a hand, we're going to get to Ephesians chapter 4 a little later as we push through into this series. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about God gave some to be apostles, prophets, teachers, and evangelists. And so there you've got a hand, picture a hand, an apostle is the thumb. So what the thumb does is think about a fight. If you're going to go into a fight, what does your thumb do in a fight? Right? It holds down the, the fingers. You're not going to fight like this. If I go to punch you like this, I may slap you, but I, what's that going to do? If I want to knock you out, I've got to close the hand, right? To close the hand, I use the thumb. So the thumb is the apostle. is the simplest way to put it, the way I have had it described to me. So you picture the church moving out on mission. To do that, you need the thumb, the apostles. That's what Paul is. He's very instrumental to establishing the core of the church, the foundation of the church, and to keep it focused on why it is designed to be here. Now he gets into the next sentence. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus... Pause there, uh, kind of give you some context so you understand who he's written to. This is a letter, and what it was designed to do is when it showed up in a context like this, it would have been a Sabbath, oftentimes a Saturday, um, or sometimes Sunday, it would come into a room like this, it was meeting for quote-unquote church, and there was someone who he would have given this letter to who would have brought it into a context like this, would have stood up in front of just like this, and would have read this whole letter. Now, when you, when you hear read, it's not just read as in, yeah, we'll work through it. It's, it. They would have been trained and developed to, to pause at the right places, to bring emphasis to places, and then they were trained to explain the letter. Uh, so after that was read, you may say, hey, hey, I have a question. What did Paul mean when he said? And, and, and so that's kind of how it works. So this letter was coming to Ephesus. Many believed not only that, but the churches in that whole region. Ephesus, um, let me... Again, not a deep dive here, but it was, it was the home to the temple to the goddess Diana in, in the Greek and in Roman world. Um, they should, she would have had a different name uh, in both. But Diana is what she's most known by, and she was the fertility goddess. So because of that, there are temples all over that region still to this day that you can see if you go visit. Uh, but it was a very sexualized culture because of that. Um, so very similar, I think, to what we have here in America. It was a very wealthy city, very similar we have in America. Uh, there was a, it was a trade route, so there was a coming and going of all the merchants, and so that's kind of Ephesus. Now, so he says, I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus. 
Look at how he describes them. This is really important. Who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So who's he writing to? Christians. Right? He's writing to a Christian. So if you're here this morning and you say, well, I'm not a Christian, Adam. That's not me. Welcome. I want to say welcome. Um, I think if you sit and you take it in, uh, you're going to be challenged. You're probably going to learn how a Christian thinks, uh, how they process, why they're a little different. Maybe think, yeah, they are different. Well, there's why. And we'll process some kicks on there. But he's ultimately saying, I am writing to talk to you who would consider yourself a faithful follower of Jesus. Now, why is this a big deal? Because what we're going to get into in verse 3 in just a minute can often be controversial and divide. It's this, uh, if, you're, if you've been around the church, you've heard a debate, uh, and it takes different forms and different names, but you'll hear it around maybe uh, Calvinism versus Arminianism. That would be one, maybe if you're familiar with that. If you're not familiar with that, maybe you've heard it around um, predestination and election and free will. In other words, the whole debate is, does God choose people and, and ordain people to go to heaven, or do people get to pick, and, and is, is it their free will? And this whole debate breaks out. And I want to point out that he's writing to faithful followers of Jesus. And it shapes this discussion in a way that I think we get off track. So here, let, me, let me state that and then we'll read the verses. Um, picture heaven. There's going to be a lot nicer doors in heaven than this, I promise. Okay, so picture heaven. Okay, this is the outside of heaven. It's, it's the door. And you approach heaven and you want to get inside. Right? So there's signs in the door. So you walk up and you read it. John 3, 15 through 16 says, So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Verse 16, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So what does that verse say? So you're out there reading the door and think, okay, okay, okay. I get in. Jesus, Jesus gave the way. He died for me. He loves me. He loves everyone. He died for everyone. If I believe in him, I'm in. Right? You may see another sign in the door, that, and there's a lot of them we could put on the door that say this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So it's this invitation. And you say, heck yeah. <laughs> I'm responding. I'm in. So you open the door. You grab hold of the knob. You believe in Jesus. You go in, and you begin to, you begin to lay out your room. You decorate your pad. I mean, you're, you're feeling good. And one day, you're walking by the door, but now instead of looking on the outside of the door, you're looking where? You're looking at the inside of the door, right? And on the inside of the door, you walk closer and you see this. This comes from verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians chapter 1. Even before God made the world, he chose you? He chose me? Now wait a minute. He chose me? No, I chose him. No, no, he chose me. No, I chose him. Now, remember who it's written to. Faithful followers of Jesus. This, this whole discussion, we go off track and we begin to try and figure out how it works. Let me put it in this context. This church, Bethany, has had a long history of, of uh, supporting and walking with uh, childhood trauma and sanctity of life. And because of that, there's a, there's a number in this church that are passionate about adoption. So let's say one of our adoptive families, uh, as their child is growing, is beginning to have um, attachment struggles. And the reason the attachment struggles are coming is because their skin is a different color than dad's. 
Their eyes, their complexion, they just begin to feel like, I, I, I don't belong. I, I, don't, I don't belong here, and I think I was given up somewhere. And, I, and so, so dad maybe is with um, Junior there, on, uh, putting him to bed at night, and is sensing the tension. And his son begins to tell him how, how he feels, and is beginning to tell him how, how, how he's hurting and struggling and, and not feeling like a part of the family. Now, now, if the dad is really wise, the dad's just going to sit with that. But after he sits for a while, what might the dad say to him? What he might say? I want you. I chose you. Why is he saying it to him? Remember, he's saying it to someone who's already in the family. He's looking at him and saying, listen, 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 son, I chose you. I picked you. Like, I am for you. I mean, we, we raised thousands of dollars to get you. We flew across continents, and we, we did so much work because we chose you. You were in this family. Do you know what the dad's not saying? Imagine if Junior says, well, well dad, how about Johnny who was in the orphanage with me? Do you not like him? Is the dad talking about Johnny? No. It's given to say, it's a term of comfort. It's a term of saying, this is who you are. This is where you belong. That's what Jesus, so so this is on the inside of the door. After you're in the family, he's writing to faithful followers of Jesus, not just the general populace. And he's saying, I chose you. And it's a term of endearment, of comfort to say, this is what you have in this family. So what do you have? This is the heart of the letter. This is one of the things we're going to see in this section here. The good news of Jesus promises true prosperity and unity. We have more in Jesus than most of us will ever comprehend. And that's what he's trying to communicate. In Jesus, you have so much. So let's look at verse 3. Now, 3 through 14, when I was in school, (laughs) the class I hated, I struggled so bad, was English. I don't know why I couldn't spell. I, I mean, memorized the definitions and punctuations. And, and one of the number one things, aside from spelling, that I would show up when my, I'd get my paper back and the teacher would have red marks everywhere. You know the number one thing I'd hear over and over and over and over? And you won't be surprised by this, Adam. It's a run-on sentence. Like everything was a run-on sentence. You're like, yeah, Adam, you still do that. I mean, you just, people tell me I get all worked up and I talk really fast and just go. I know, I do it in writing. I, um, so Paul, when he writes this, got really juiced up. I mean, he all prays to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As soon as he says that, I mean, his, his energy starts flowing, and he gets all excited about this big, great God that he's going to tell uh, these faithful followers of Jesus about, and he writes one continuous sentence, verse 3 to verse 14. It's one of the longest sentences in our scriptures. Now, in our modern translations, <laughs> they've, <laughs> they've cleaned this up to make it more readable. The same thing my English teacher would have done. After I wrote it, the English teacher would have come through and said, no, Adam, we need a comma here, a period here. I mean, that's, that's a redundant phrase. Uh, Paul, Paul, in his original writing, just got so excited and says, I want to tell you about all that you have in God, how big he is, how great he is. I want you guys to see this. So um, with that said, let's look at, look, at what he, look at what we have. It says, I'll praise all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, look at this, look at this, don't miss this word. Blessed us with what? Say it, say the word. Blessed us with every, turn the person beside you, just tell them every. Some of you did not do it. I see it. Go ahead, they won't bite, I promise. They, they like you. 
I'm sure they do. Go ahead and say this. Tell them every, every blessing. There you go. I heard someone over here really get enthusiastic. It's probably a child, right? I love it. So he says, all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Now, some of you read that and think, oh, okay, that's cool. So I have something in heaven to look forward to one day, the heavenly realms. Well, hold on, hold on. This is really cool. He's not talking about heaven. You say, well, yes, he is. He says heavenly realms. Well, hang on. Let's, the same author, the end of the letter, comes to a section where he's talking about spiritual warfare. Uh, some of you are familiar with this. And he says this, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. In other, in other words, you know, people you can see and touch and feel, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against all evil spirits in the, say it, in the what? Heavenly places. Same concept, same word. You say, well, wait a minute. It's not heaven because heaven does not have evil spirits in it. So what is this heavenly places? Well, let's look at what he says. What does he say? For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. In other words, what he's saying is the life that you live is not really the life that you live. It's so much deeper. Let me illustrate it this way. I have, um, a lot of you don't know this because I wear contacts. Um, I have glasses. Why do I put glasses on if my contacts weren't in? Why do I put these on? Man, it's really blurry. <laughs> I put these on because I want to see life as it is. I want to see the world as it's been designed to be. If I don't wear these, I mean, that, that clock, even now with my contacts, that clock back there, some of you know why I run late. That thing's all blurry to me. I mean, that thing's just like, what is that? Uh, I look out at some of your faces, and it begins to blur a little bit. My eyesight is not strong. So I put these things on to give me corrective vision. You know, at times I wish God would have lenses like this for us to put on so we could see life as it really is. You know, we get so worked up about the game. Who's going to win? Who's going to lose? Who are we going to have over? Am I invited? Am I not invited? How come I didn't get invited to their party? We get all worked up about work tomorrow and the bills that we got to pay and the bills that we can't pay and man, that argument going on with our spouse or, man, that kid, our, our son or daughter and the issue we're having there or, man, this physical problem that I'm having. Or, and we go on down the list. We get so consumed with life. And I think Paul's saying, hey, there's life happening that's influencing this life that you guys really don't see. Sometimes I wish we could have lenses that we could put on. I, I picture it like this. Um, you ever see pictures of a real emaciated child like in a poor, uh, underdeveloped country? And they give you this picture because you're like, oh, I want to I help and I want to pay. I think sometimes if we would put these lenses on, I wish we could put lenses on to help us see in the way God sees the heavenlies and the spirits. I think some of us would look emaciated because we've not given attention to the life that really is. It really matters. And Paul's writing to say, listen, this is the life that you have. This is the life that really matters. This is what you have in life, the heavenlies. He says, let's talk about that. See, I grew up um, in a Christian culture where, you know why I accepted Jesus and became a Christian? Do you know the number one reason why I did? I didn't want to go to hell. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. At the end of the day, none of us want to go to hell. But all I could fixate on is what I would have one day, and I missed what I have today in the heavenlies. 
life. Christianity is about the blessings I have now that are here and now. Life and life to the full, as John 10.10 says it. So what do we have now? Paul's going to, he's all juiced up. He's going to tell us. So let me, now, (laughs) um, as you read, hopefully you read this this week, you're going to be able to pull out even deeper and more nuanced things. I want to give you some of the bigger ones. So let's look at, uh, start in verse 4. I think the first thing we have is we have, we're looked at as perfect. We have no fault in God's eyes. Verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. (laughs) This is so cool. He's not talking about heaven one day. He's talking about now. You know, we forget about Jesus. Those of you who have maybe been around church a while, we think, yeah, okay, Jesus died. He lived a perfect life, died a terrible death. He rose to new life and then offered an exchange to you and I. And we think in that exchange, he forgave me of my sins. He did that. But guess what else he did? He gave you his perfection. When you believe in him and you have that exchange, God now looks down, and if, you have, if you're a Christian, you have Jesus in you, God looks at you and says, perfect, no fault. You say, no, Adam, <laughs> you don't know what I did last night. Okay, but that's really not you. The scriptures tell us in Romans chapter 7 that it's sin in you. Now you say, what do I do with that tension? Well, we're going to talk about that in, in the second series. We're going to do but now in chapters 1 and 2. Then we're going to take a second series and look at the end of Ephesians about putting to death. How do we get rid of that stuff that we don't want? But God looks at you in the heavenlies and says, perfect. Now the next thing I think you have is adoption. This is a really big deal. Look at verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And there's this cool phrase that we're going to wrap this whole series up with. So tuck in the back of your head. And it gave him great pleasure. So man, he says, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're in. Imagine this. You can call God dad. I want to ask you, how do you pray? I had someone one time coach me in prayer. (laughs) And as I was praying, he said to me, Adam, um, you know, when I hear you pray, you seldom ever say Father. You always say God. Why is that? Who is God to you? He's your father, your dad, your daddy. Now, some of you, I know, may have daddy issues and real struggle with that, and you don't know quite how to link that up, and I get that. It's a real tension. But he says, listen, you're perfect. I've brought you into my family. You can call me dad. Now look at the next one. Next one we have comes out uh, here, six and seven. It says this. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us, which belongs to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. I love this. So freedom, that, that thing that maybe you did last night that's like dragging you away, that's slavery. We all have that thing that, man, we don't want to do, but for some reason we keep doing it. It's called slavery. You're trapped. You're stuck. You can't free yourself. You need someone from the outside. So Jesus stepped in and says, I'm going to provide you with freedom. That's why I love Celebrate Recovery that we're running with right now because that's what it's all about, freedom from things that trap and pull us away, but it's found in Jesus. You have this, and you have forgiveness. Verse 8, then, is that I think the next thing that I I see as I read through this, he has showered showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. (laughs) 
If you're a believer in Jesus, you're a wise person. You have, you have access to understanding that, that, it is, that, can, that can sometimes blow people's minds, but that's what you have. Verse 9 is the next one. I think he reveals to us this grand plan. I love this one. It says this, God has now revealed to us, remember this is what you have in the heavenlies. This is the blessings that you have. This is the riches that you have. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. Mysterious because in the early parts of the Bible it was kind of hidden. It didn't make sense. And now it's being revealed. So this mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. There's that phrase again. Tuck it away. We'll come back to that at the end. And this is the plan. Here it goes. I'm going to tell you the plan. Ready for the plan? At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. So unity. Some of your translations actually say unity. So he's going to bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, I want to pause here. When you read this this week, pay attention to all the with Christ, in Christ, through Christ. You have all of this only through Christ. So verse 11 again. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. I love this. He's got a plan. You know what I tell? You know, we just finished a series on fear, anxiety. This is one of the verses we could have used. <laughs> you know what this verse, when I read this, you know what it makes me do? <sighs> right? Let it out. <laughs> you don't need to be afraid. Take a deep breath. No matter how dark it gets, God is working. He's got a plan. And his plan, he's telling you what it is. What is his plan? He wants you to be part of it. His plan is that he's going to unite everything in Christ Bring it all together, all in submission to Christ. He's, he's working towards this end. And you're a part of it. Now, I'll use this illustration to maybe make it lock in for you. Um, at the risk of losing some man points here, I cross-stitch. I think some of you know that. Some of you have heard me share that. Every night at starting point class, I'll share that. Uh, I cross-stitch. I haven't done a lot of it lately. I've got four kids and um, a lot of other things in life that have kind of taken me from that. But I did it a lot growing up. Now, my cross-stitching, when I grew up, I did a lot of, you know, Paddington Bear. I did a Paddington Bear. Some of you remember Paddington Bear. Um, I did uh, a pig for my grandpa because he was a pig broker. So I, I cross-stitched a pig for him. I did a uh, bear. I did a lot of Miami Dolphin stuff. I even stitched a Miami Dolphin helmet, best thing I ever did. Miami Dolphin helmet right onto a sweatshirt. Now, if you take my cross-stitch and you look at the back of it, now, if some of you cross-stitch and do needlework, you, you, this may not be true of you, but the back of my work, you'd look at it and think, what is that? I mean, I had strings and knots and stuff all over the place. It's not a pig. That looks more like a, I don't know what, like an amoeba. What is this? Now you flip it over and you're like, oh, it's a pig. I see the pig. That's a pretty cool pig. The struggle is God is looking at the front side where are most of us looking? The backside. And God said, man, it's all going to work out no matter how dark it gets. The light is burning. The plan is engaged. Keep your focus on the front side. See where the stitches and the crosses have gone. Don't stare at the back. Now, verses 12 to 13. 
It's the final thing I'll pull out. There's, again, you read it this week, you'll see others. But this is the final blessing, I think, that I read the big one that we have, is we have the Holy Spirit. And this brings in the unity piece to completion. Verse 12, God's purpose was that Jews were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. So, again, not going to dive deep on this. This is, this is a... This is a whole year at a, at a seminary or Bible college talking about this, how, how God had this plan. It started with the Jews, now verse 13, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth. So here's this, Jews and Gentiles hated one another. This is going to be the heart of this series. This is where we really get into some of the meat of this. They hated one another. But now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his what? His own. Some of, some of your translations say he sealed you. Can, well, why does the New Living say your own? Well, a seal, think of if I'm, a, if I'm living out in the West and I have a bunch of cattle and I'm going to seal them. What am I doing? I'm, I'm going to brand them. What am I saying? This is mine. This, this cow belongs to me. Okay, I'm going to make steaks out of this, and this cow's mine, right? I mean, this, this is my cow. So this is God sealing and branding. By How did he brand you? By giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. So this is like banking terms. You saw it come out earlier in the text. It's like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a deposit in a bank account for you that you know for certain you're going to be able to withdraw on one day. I'm going to put a piece of me in you so you can taste and feel all that will, you will have in completion one day when, when this earth comes to, comes to pass and it's over. And then he did this. So we would bring praise and glorify him, which brings it right back where we started. Now, I love this Holy Spirit piece. Um, Here it is, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 13. Same writer Paul says this, the human body has many parts. You got a head, you got a brain, you got a tongue, arm, feet, uh, all kinds of parts. You got a stomach. But the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ, the church. Some of us are Jews, same language, Some are Gentiles. These are two people groups that don't get along. Some are slaves and some are free. Again, two people groups that don't get along. But we have all been baptized, immersed, brought in, identified with, uh, into the body by what? By one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. That spirit that's in you is the same spirit that's in Christians that would have worshipped God six or seven hours ago in England, France. It's the same spirit that would have worshipped God maybe 20 hours ago in Singapore, China, Japan. It's the same God that's in you right now that's also in believers in Argentina, Brazil. Same God that's in you that will be worshipping with people in uh, maybe Hawaii later this afternoon. He's unified. He's brought us together. He's made us one. It's his plan is I'm going to work this all out to bring this whole thing together in submission under Christ to accomplish and move this thing forward. I love it. You have the spirit of God. Now, the good news of this whole thing is that Jesus promised true prosperity and unity. We have more in Jesus than most of us will ever comprehend. So I want to welcome those of you here that say, you know what, Adam? I'm not a faithful follower of Jesus. It's not me. 
verse uh, 1, he's not writing to me. Well, you know, he could be. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. He could be. I want to invite you to step in, grab hold of the door, come home. It says in the scriptures that God sent us Jesus to bring us home. Come home. He said, well, how do I get home, Adam? Well, we talked about it. Let me make it really clear. It's just by saying, I know that I'm a sinner and I trust God. If some of you hear the word, put my faith in God, believe God. It's all I'm saying is I trust that he is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. I believe you're in. So I'm going to pray for some of you. I'm going to invite you to do that. It's a simple, that's all it is. For those of you in this room that say, you know what, I am in, Adam. I'm in and my room is all set. Man, I've been decorating it for years. I'm, I'm comfy in here. Do you realize what you have? Do you realize how richly blessed you are? And we're going to talk about throughout this series, we begin to realize what we have, it begins to shape how we live because we eventually become who we are. And where I want to end for all of us, I don't know about you, um, but over the years, even before I was a Christian, this is one of the things I would push back against Christianity is this point that I'm about to share with you. And even as a Christ follower, I struggle still with this at times. Do you ever hear the term megalomaniac? Do you guys know what a megalomaniac is? What's a megalomaniac? Megalomaniac is someone who's obsessed with their power. So think um, uh, North Korea, their leader. He is obsessed with his power. Think you can go throughout human history. There have been Napoleon. Uh, the guys, I mean, they're obsessed with their power. Caesar and some of the Roman emperors. It's a megalomaniac. Is God a megalomaniac? You know, every time I open up the scriptures, I read something about his power. He's always, Paul, what did he write about? I want to talk to you about this big God. How about a narcissist? What's a narcissist? A narcissist is someone who's obsessed with themselves. The world revolves around them, right? The sun is circling them. Is God a narcissist? I've struggled with this. At times I open up my scriptures and I read, <laughs> here's the struggle. Narcissists and megalomaniacs are not loving people. And at times I've held God at a distance because I'm like, dude, okay, you're great, you're powerful, I'll worship you, but I'm not drawing close because I don't know if you're safe because you're consumed with you. Be very candid. This is why I've wrestled with this. Till one day, something clicked for me. I want to use an apple to describe it. I'll use it with John here because John's a really brave guy this morning. John, that's awesome. That is, that is, can you ever see John? John is wearing a Tom Brady jersey to church in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania on the Super Bowl. Dude, that's awesome. So, is it okay if I use you for this illustration? So I got an apple. John needs this apple to live. If John doesn't get this apple, he will not make it. His life depends on this apple. Not only his life and his living, but his enjoyment of life depends upon this apple. Now let's say I come to John and say, John, you need this apple, right? John's like, yeah, I need the apple. Sorry, John, can't have it. What would you say to me? You're a jerk. Would you tell me I love John? No, the exact opposite. I don't love John. If I have the very thing that he needs to live life, but I do not give it to him, it's not loving at all. The apple is God. You and I have been created to depend upon him, 
Our life is sustained in him. We, we derive life from him. And if you want to really experience life and be blessed by him, you have to be connected to him and with him. So if he were to withhold himself from you, he actually hates you. So as I've wrestled with this over the years, I've realized God's most loving attribute about himself is the fact that he is drawing you to himself. Because for him to keep himself from you is not loving you. It's like me saying, hey, John, have an apple. Have life. I love the way this text ends. The same way, how did it open up? Verse 3, it's all one continuous sentence. All praise to God. Then he just runs on his whole thing and he ends. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. The more you are drawn to him, to see him in his greatness and his majesty and his beauty and his power and all that he has blessed you with, the more you bite into that apple, the more life you have. He says, come and see me. Enjoy me. I want to pray. I want to pray specifically for those of you in the room, two groups, that I mean, I've never tasted the apple. I want to pray that you can't just grab hold of the door and come in. And I'm going to pray for the second group, those of you in this room, that have, you have the apple, you're eating, you're loving it. I want to pray that you really, when you, you, you grab hold and you really grasp and see in the heavenly realms, you put the glasses on and look at yourself in the way he looks at you. Because it will shape so much of your life in a powerful way. God, thank you so much for Jesus. All that we have in you. The beauty of who you are. God, I pray right now for those in this room that, God, I believe there's some here that walked in saying, I'm not a faithful follower of Jesus. Um, there's some here who don't even know who you are, aren't even sure who Jesus is. But, God, they sense something right now in their spirit. God, I believe you're calling some to you. You're, you're saying, hey, come home. Come home. God, right now, for those that you're speaking to, God, I pray that they would respond. I pray that they would step out in faith and just say, yeah, God, I, I, I agree with you and who I am. I'm a sinner. God, I agree with you that I need Jesus, and I put my trust in him. I just want to pause right now, God, and let those that you're drawing, God, would you welcome them home? God, for those that are in this room that are, man, they're, they're home. They already got, they got their place all, it's furnished. They're, they're, they're kind of living the Christian life. God, would you help us to wear those spiritual glasses? To look at our life in the heavenly places, not just in the physical earthly places. You would see us as, uh, we would see ourselves as you see us, holy, blameless, without fault, adopted, wise and understanding, free and forgiven. God, welcomed into the, your grand plan and design and understand we're a part of that and that we have you inside of us. God, we love you. Just wreck our worlds with the beauty of who you are. Help us to see it in a bigger way than we did when we walked in here. In Jesus' name, amen.